This week in Dokkan Gamer, Rock Band 2, Guitar Hero World Tour, Mirror's Edge, and The Wrath of a Lich King. Welcome everyone to episode 6 of the Kong Gamer, and it's a huge episode this week. Um, but before all of that, the song you just heard was Slither from Velvet Revolver. Um, I believe it was the song that they played in the commercial for Guitar Hero 3, wherein you see Slash coming out of this guy playing Guitar Hero, which is a very, very cool commercial as well. So check that out if you haven't. So with that said, yes, this week is massive compared to last week and you know i'm admittedly more pumped up to do this uh this podcast this week last week was sort of um you know eh, it's kind of iffy iffy episode but this one you know i was really really excited to do um I'm be, i'll be talking about games that are you know i've been very very excited about for a long time and that's why i'm gonna talk about them this week so this week in highest score we have Guitar Hero, uh, Guitar Hero World Tour and Rock Band 2. Um, another double header for you. And again, in highest score, I basically decide on what games I buy. It's sort of, it's sort of a review thing, but almost like a post mortem in, in the sense of that I read the reviews about or listen to reviews uh, or what people have to say about the games that have already been released or anything, and then I decide at the end of the day which one I'm going to buy if, or if I will buy them or not. And as you know, the question really is, am I going to spend all this money on this particular game? So this week is particularly difficult for me because both games, um, Guitar Hero and rock, the new Guitar Hero and the new Rock Band, are pretty expensive, actually. Um, and it begs the question of whether or not I'm even willing to spend $200 on just one game. Um, remember, $200 is a lot of money. And the thing is, it's particularly difficult for this kind of game since I can't really order them online. Um, I, I couldn't even... I don't. I believe I couldn't even let my mom buy it um, last week or weeks ago and take it home from the States because I think the box is actually too big and I don't think you can even bring it on the plane. So that said, you know, this week is pretty difficult, but I will tell you that I am planning to buy one of the games... Um, either Guitar Hero or Rock Band, simply because, you know, I'm not the biggest Guitar Hero fan or anything or stuff, but um, when I got Guitar Hero 2 back in the day, it was really, really, really fun. And I have Guitar Hero 3 as well. And, you know, it's that kind of game that you just pick up and play. And, you know, for somebody in my age that, you know, can't really invest that much time in video games anymore, can't play the marathon R's I used to, you know, three R's a day or what. Um, a game like Guitar Hero or these rhythm games that you just play for like 10 minutes and you'll be happy are really the type of games I really go for these, these days simply because, you know, um, I just have so much more to do or at least I should be doing all these things, you know, being the age that I am, I shouldn't be playing these games too much unless I plan to become a professional gamer, right? Um, like I've said before, I am... Uh, I am in the industry, I am in the games industry, and, you know, I do want to improve my skills in that, aside from just playing games. So that said, right, either one of these games 
is going to be purchased by me. I don't know when because it's so freaking expensive and there's so many other games coming out that it's very, very difficult to budget my money right now. Um, and I've been buying games sort of crazy for me because I've bought a couple of games, three games already in the past, what, three weeks? And that's unheard of for me and people in the Philippines because, you know, it's usually just a once in a month, um, once in a month, um, thing. Uh, of course that is if you're buying original, but you know, it's fall and you know, I'm forgiving myself for that, for spending so much on video games because, you know, you just love it, right? I mean... Any gamer can relate to me if there's just this freaking game coming out and you just have to have it. You have to have it, period. And fall is that season where you just really think about all these things. So anyway, um, so Guitar Hero, World Tour, and Rock Band 2. Um, definitely, definitely both very, very solid games. Pretty much comparable in terms of playlist. And the thing is with all these, um, you know, with these rhythm games particularly the i think the selling point really is the playlist so whatever has the better playlist would probably win but the thing is um clearly in this comparison this double header um rock band 2 would be the the clear winner simply because the dlc that came with um rock band or that you bought with rock band is easily transferable to rock band 2 whereas um the songs from guitar hero 3 and all of that aren't transferable to Guitar Hero World Tour, as far as I know. And, you know, that that's pretty much... If that's all you're going to gauge the game on, then I guess you'll have to buy Rock Band 2 then. Um, and of course, you know, uh, the massive scores and all of that, um, if I'm using the term correctly, are... I think, you know, Rock Band 2 has always been known to be ahead of Guitar in that respect. But, you know, in terms of, you know, what makes me decide whether or not to buy Rock Band or um, uh, Guitar Hero, it's sort of different. It's more of what gives me more, uh, more bang for my buck, because I haven't downloaded anything. I don't own the next-gen versions of either Guitar Hero 3 or Rock Band. Hence, I was, you know, I was... I wasn't able to have access to all these DLCs. So basically, I'm starting from scratch. So given that, basically, the playlists of Rock Band 2 and Guitar Hero World Tour is pretty much identical to me. And, you know, I actually, honestly, haven't looked at them because really, I'm, all I'm really after in terms of these rhythm games are the playability of it and the replay value of it and just how much fun it is, how good the instruments are, and, you know, all of that. So, you know, I guess I have to break it down um, for you guys, and even for myself, because really, um, it's very difficult to just compare them apples to apples and everything, even though they are sort of very, very comparable in that respect, and very, very similar. But okay, so basically, I'll try to run down the pros and cons of each one, at least the ones I'm familiar with. So I guess I'd want to start off with Rock Band 2 first, because it, it was released earlier. And with Rock Band 2, you know, I'm very, very curious, and you would know this from last week's episode, um, I'm very curious about games that I actually haven't played or don't own. Um, not to say that I haven't played Rock Band 2. I have. Um, and it was fun. It was The instruments were very, very good. I mean, I think the guitar of Rock Band is way, way better than a Guitar Hero's. But then again, you know, I've never played with a Guitar Hero um, guitar 
Guitar Hero 3 guitar, so I really wouldn't know. But, you know, um, suffice it to say that the guitars of Rock Band felt really, really good. They felt a lot realer, more real than um, Guitar Hero, my Guitar Hero 2 um, guitar, at least. And it just looked more realistic, heavier. Um, admittedly, the buttons I had to get used to because it's not as... Uh, how should I call it? Um, tactile, maybe? Or ergonomic, like um, my Guitar Hero 2 guitar, in that, you know, the the, the keys were pretty much flat. Um, they were almost flush with a fretboard, and that sort of gave me uh, some problems when I was trying to really push, push the buttons, because, you know, um, I don't know, it just seemed too smooth. It's almost like having an iPhone compared to a normal cell phone with buttons. Um, the iPhone's too slick, and you can't really feel the real tactile um, feedback of pressing the buttons and everything. So, you know, it's sort of flimsy in that sense. Um, you know, it's smooth, definitely. It's slick and all of that. But, you know, because it is slick, you kind of lose some of that tangibility, some of that feedback that they're, that you're looking for whenever you press a button. And when you, it's important for you to know that you press the button, then that feeling, that tangibility is really important. So I guess that's my only problem with a guitar hero uh, sorry with a rock band guitar if ever but i'm sure it's just something that i have to get used to and you know i'm not i just played um rock band with a rock band guitar for a few minutes like 30 minutes so you know uh, and i've played guitar hero for hours and hours and hours on end so i'm reserving judgment about that too so what else is um, going on for rock band well you know from what i've heard um, the instruments are very, very solid. And, you know, it's not much of a leap from the first game as far as what I've read is concerned. But, you know, it's enough to make anybody um, who likes rhythm games happy. And the thing is, really, when it comes to rhythm games, the incremental improvements that they can make on the gameplay itself aren't all that important because, like I said previously... All that really is important is a playlist and just how expansive it is and all of that. But again, when it comes with instruments and with games that are this expensive and comes with all these crazy peripherals, then I would think that it would be best if, you know, you really not just look at the playlist, but the quality of the game itself, the quality of the peripherals itself. I've never heard of any complaints about the peripherals for a rock band. Um, and in fact, have heard great praises, especially for the drum set, which has... A metal, um, what do you call it? Um, pedal for the for the drop for the bass, and you know it just feels so much better from what I've heard that the membranes of the 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 drums, the the things themselves, are much better, and you know that in itself is a sell to me. But then talking about Guitar Hero, the thing that Guitar Hero has that um, Rock Band doesn't have actually is you know, the better drum set, from what I've heard. Um, basically, you have the hi-hats, the two hi-hats left and right, which aren't found in a Rockman um, drum set. But I have heard as well that the drum sets in um, Guitar Hero World Tour can become problematic. There are units that don't really respond properly, the hi-hats and everything, and that is a problem for me. And it's a, a, a very, very unfortunate turn-off because I think that 
another thing that um, is going for Guitar Hero is the editor, so the music editor, editor, which, you know, from the very beginning, when I started playing Guitar Hero 2, I always thought that, hey, you know, it, it would be so freaking easy to make a song with this game for as long as they supplied us with an editor. I mean, you know, you just basically play your MP3s on the machine and make your own music. I mean, you could do that on a PC or something, or even with a um, Guitar Hero um, guitar as well. You basically just press the buttons as music plays, and you basically have a new track that you can play yourself, a customized track that you yourself um, um, pretty much press the buttons for and everything. And that's all well and good, right? Of course, it's a lot more complicated, as proven by the editor in Guitar Hero World Tour, than I make it seem. But, you know, it's a very, very cool idea. It seems very, very simple to me, quite honestly, for it to have some user-generated content. But, you know, as as far as I've been hearing, the editor is really, really for the hardcore. It's not something like Little Big Planet that basically makes the creation process, the level creation process, very, very streamlined and easy. And I don't blame um, Guitar Hero for that because it's not about... It's a game not about editing levels like Little Big Planet. It really is about just playing the songs that are made available to you by the developer. So, you know, that said, it seems that Guitar Hero wins the battle... Uh, against Rock Band, in that it has this crazy, crazy editor and very much better drums. Whereas Rock Band seems to be the more stable one, the the more sure game of the two. And, you know, at the end of the day, what then weighs more for me? And another thing that factors in really is the compatibility of the peripherals with the other game. Now, you know, I haven't really researched much about this, but I have heard that, um, you know, basically, I think, I think, all right, uh, I'm not quite sure that the Guitar Hero, the Guitar Hero drums don't work well with a rock band game, because, simply because the drums are different. Um, I think the Guitar Hero drums have five contact points, the two hi-hats, the three drums, and oh, and the bass, which makes six actually, and I think the rock band guitar, uh, sorry, rock band drums only have five. So four drum thingies, four drum membranes, and just the the bass. So obviously it won't really work. But you know, again, which one then would I buy? It's a very very difficult decision to be honest. And you know, if I could just sort of Frankenstein the whole thing. I might just buy the guitar of Rock Band, buy the drums of, despite all the difficulties and everything, of, of Guitar Hero, and just buy both software separately. Uh, it's not really, you know, as far as I'm concerned right now, that is my decision, because I'm trying to look at it long-term, and I don't want to have all these crazy peripherals littering my house all the time. And, you know, that's very, very... A very big headache, even for people in the West. They keep complaining about having, you know, seven guitars at one time and not having any of those guitars play all the games. And the thing is, to be honest, if only they released a third-party peripheral that could play Rock Band 2 and Guitar Hero World Tour at the same time, in terms of the drums at least, then I'm all there. Um, but, you know, I guess if I'm not buying the... the, the, the 
the set itself, then it's a lot easier to, to decide. Um, if I'm not buying the whole band set, you know, with the mic, the guitar, and the drums, then it's, it's going to be an easier decision. But if you're just going to buy the $200 uh, bundle and everything, it's definitely a very, very difficult decision. Um, you just have to weigh your options, really. Um, but it seems to me that the smarter choice, if I'm going to simplify everything... If I am going to buy a bundle, I think I would buy the Rock Band um, bundle. Why exactly? Simply because it's a stabler, um, a stabler set, a stabler bundle from what I've heard. And, you know, I just don't want things that break up, especially when you live in the Philippines where there are no warranties or anything. You can't send anything back at all unless you're willing to pay for the shipment and everything. And, you know... Anything that breaks down is a freaking headache. Anything that breaks down basically is lost money for you. So, in that sense, you know, I would really go for the rock band bundle instead. So, as much as I would like to make my own music in Guitar Hero, just, you know, the lack of ease of use of it is pretty much a turn-off for me. And, you know, even if it has the better drum set and everything, it just seems that Rock Band is a smarter choice for me. And to be honest, I think the, the aesthetics, the art aesthetics of the Rock Band team is a lot more appealing to me. Um, I remember playing Guitar Hero 2, wherein I believe it was it harmonics or everything was still on board. And then, you know, I loved the, the art and everything. It looked really, really cool, really, really clean, really, really rock ish. And then when I suddenly bought. Guitar Hero 3 for the PS2 as well. Suddenly, you know, when Harmonix left and everything and made their own game. I'm sorry if I'm not really quoting this properly, if it wasn't Harmonix or anything, but, you know, the company that was basically helping making Guitar Hero 2 when they left and made Rock Band 2, it seems that the aesthetics of Guitar Hero 3 plummeted quite substantially. Now, of course, I understand that the Guitar Hero 3 for the PS2 is not the version of choice. I mean, it was developed for next-gen system, so maybe my Guitar Hero 3 version on the PS2 isn't up, up to snuff or anything, but really, even the, the sprites themselves, the icons, how the splash pages were really, really poorly done for me. It wasn't very appealing. Like, even the load thing, wherein um, this guy... The this anime-looking dude with a tattoo basically has his shoulder um, up against the screen. It was very, very backwards to me compared to you know the flying cassette tape of Rock uh, Guitar Hero Two. But you know, um, it, it was an unfortunate thing for me because I really, really wanted to like Guitar Hero Three, but it seems that Guitar Hero Two is still the superior one for me, even in terms of the track list and everything. I mean, I don't really know why. I love Dragon Force, I love all these other songs that were in Guitar Hero 3, but it seems I'm more comfortable with the Guitar Hero 2 soundtrack, actually, or, you know, even the looks itself. And, you know, the loading time in Guitar Hero 3 after every song, after every time you score, is just so freaking long. I mean, it's like I'm waiting 10 seconds for it to just save my data we're in you know, Guitar Hero 2 did that in just a few seconds, like, at most, maybe five seconds, if not just three. So, you know, um, I guess that also factors into it that I like the theme of Rock Band 2 a lot more. Um, 
it seems that Guitar Hero, while it is the more famous one, it suffers because it is the more famous one. It's kind of like that Microsoft deal that even though it's a more known brand and everybody buys it, it seems that the quality just seems to suffer so much because it just is mass-produced. Or, you know, I mean, I hope I'm using that correctly. It's sort of that thing. It was just really made to sell, pretty much. It was made to reach the widest audience possible. It was made to be available to everybody. And sometimes doing that, really, the quality, it suffers. So I guess the analogy I'm trying to get at is sort of like, and you would disagree with me probably, but, you know, if Guitar Hero is... I mean, in the same way that Guitar Hero is to rock band, I would say that Microsoft is to Apple. It's sort of like that. That, you know, both of them have their their strengths and everything. Um... Windows is the more compatible one. Like, everything's there. You can do so much with it. All the software is pretty much there. But if you want stability, then you get an Apple. Or you get a rock band, in this case. So, you know, I guess that's really my verdict on it. And to me, somebody who lives in the Far East and doesn't really have the the, the luxury of um, being able to um, maybe possibly, you know... Um, what do you call it, cash in, uh, possibly use my warranty, then really the stabler machine is really what I should go for since you're just paying, you know, same amount of money anyway. So why are you going to get something that might break down or has been known to break down? So, you know, given my limited knowledge of all the peripherals and hardware and everything, and I just really want um, this whole rock band experience, and I'm not using that in the sense that uh, I'm talking about the game rock band, but the band experience, the, you know, if I just want that experience, then I think I'm going for rock band 2 instead of Guitar Hero. Simply because, you know, I guess also the experience of the team it shows, definitely, because they have done this for two iterations, of, for two times already in one iteration, whereas the Guitar Hero team has only done it once. And, you know, definitely doing it for the first time, will show in the quality of the product. So, you know, that said, I would give the win to Rock Band 2 this time around, and hopefully I don't regret it. And hopefully I'll pick that up sometime within the next year, um, because, you know, I really don't want to just pull you your legs, guys, because when I say I'm going to buy something, I'm going to buy something. I should. So 200 bucks down the drain. Well, not really down the drain, but, you know, Again, these rhythm games are very, very cool. I think they're a very, very good investment. And you don't see that in um, Philippine houses that much. Because, seriously, $200 is a lot of money for any of us here in the Philippines. And I've only, I only know one you know, group of people here in the Philippines that owns a rock band. I know they, they sell, like, freaking pancakes in all the stores here. But, you know, I guess I don't know that many rich people here in the Philippines. So, you know... There you go. Um, a very, very uh, worthy investment, to be honest. I'm still playing Guitar Hero right now. I'm still playing Guitar Hero 2, in fact, right now, even if that cost me $90 and everything. So definitely, definitely. Um, a game that's $200, that has a freaking guitar, a mic, and a freaking drum set is definitely going to be worth your money. So it will last you years and years to come, and you will never regret it. As won't I. Um, if you don't like the songs, if you don't like what it has available on this, then you can always just buy online. And it's pretty much 
as cheap as buying songs on iTunes and everything. But of course, he paid a little extra for the actual, um, you know, I guess the programming of the, the levels itself, the programming of the notes you have to hit. So there you go. Rock Band wins. Very, very good. And right now, I'll leave you with one of my favorite tracks from Guitar Hero 3, which is um, from Dragon Force, um, Through the Fire and Flames. So welcome to this week's segment of Game Over, and this week I'll be talking about Mirror's Edge. So the sound clip you just listened to right now is quite possibly one of my favorite, um, you know, like game trailer kind of intros, um, logo splash pages ever. Where if you haven't seen any of the videos of Mirror's Edge or any of you know, the promotional videos they they had out, it basically shows you this, it's, it seems like a very, very white concrete floor, and suddenly um, Faith, who is the protagonist of the game's Mirror Edge, the game Mirror Ed, Mirror's Edge, um, basically steps on, you show a bird's eye view of her foot stepping on that con- white concrete slab, and it's a red shoe and everything, and it leaves this um, stain mark on the floor that has an EA logo on it, a red stain mark logo. Um, of EA, and basically the EA logo pops up at the center of the screen, um, and then zoom, you basically sort of um, scale it in, or actually scale it out, making it smaller, and then that disappears and changes into the DICE logo. I mean, I think it's a very, very well done um, intro. I mean, and why do I even mention this at the start of everything? Because simply... Uh, you know, one of the first things that really attracted me to Mirror's Edge really is the art aesthetic of it. I mean, it's so freaking clean. Everything's um, clean lines, very, very subtle, not even subtle, uh, very, very clean colors. And that is an aesthetic I can, I really, really um, like, actually, um, and love, to be honest. Uh, I actually imagine my room to look black and white, which is basically what, uh, you know, the aesthetic of mirror's edge is um the environments are pretty much white and very very you know um light blue from the sky reflecting the sky and everything so it has a very very cool feel which i like and you know basically faith is in black and you know that that completes the whole black and white thing which i really really love 
But after seeing Mirror's Edge, quite honestly, suddenly my design of my dream room has changed and will incorporate some, you know, some reds in it, some oranges, some, you know, all of the colors that are found in Mirror's Edge. So some more blues and everything. Very, very subtle colors. Very, very nice. Very, very relaxing colors, to be honest. And, you know, why did I pick this game for um, Game Over this week? Well, basically, you know, I just couldn't stop myself from buying this game right away. Um... Like I told you last week, I got my PS3 um, last Monday, or yeah, last Monday, and I basically got to work on it right away, um, downloaded all the demos I could get, and of course, when I saw the Mirror's Edge demo, that's the very first thing I downloaded, and when I played it, to be honest, I had to play it immediately again, right after. So it was pretty much a sell game to me from the very beginning. I've been seeing it for a long time, and you know... Again, the aesthetic itself just really makes me gravitate towards the game. And it's those kinds of games that I really, really like. As much as I appreciate all the, you know, um, the intricacies of all the other environments that are out there, you know, like Gears of War, the grittiness of um, Fallout 3 as well, and, you know, the lush greenery of games like Uncharted, um, you know, very, very detailed stuff. But, you know, that's what I appreciate about all these straight lines um, that, you know, games like Mirror's Edge um, showcases. It's because, you know, it just does so much with very, very simple shapes. You don't really have to have a very, very strong silhouette to actually create a very appealing and very easy-on-the-eyes silhouette. And, you know, it's just cool. I mean, that you do so much with so little. Um... You know, compared to a straight line and a crooked line and everything, whereas a crooked line can be very, very complicated. You know, the the care in making a proper cro- crooked line can be, you know, very, very. Um, how, should I, how should I put it? Very, very. You know, you, you can admire it a lot, the care that you can put in just making a crooked line. But seriously, you know, if you could just make it with a straight edge, then why not, right? Um, I have had these um, office mates previously that, you know, have seen, well, we're working on this environment for this client, and we're basically breaking down stuff for them. Um, It was supposed to be um, this sort of dilapidated environment. So definitely there weren't supposed to be regular shapes in it. Then when I show them the Prince of Persia, um, Prince of Persia trailer, wherein it was supposed to be sort of dilapidated, you know, and they saw all these straight edges, they kept complaining about it already, that, hey, there's no proper silhouette, and blah, 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 blah. While I appreciate their sentiments, I really do think that, you know, it's almost nitpicking. It is nitpicking, quite honestly, because the whole feel, the whole aesthetic of Prince of Persia really is very holistic, very cohesive, and it goes well, very, very well together. And I can say the exact same thing about Mirror's Edge, even to a more extreme, because really Mirror's Edge is about all these, you know, very, very straight shapes, very, very clean things, which um, really goes well with the whole free-running theme, because, you know, free-running is, I think, from what I understand, is really all about the flow, how smooth everything goes. And if your environment is that clean, then I guess, you know, it lends very, very well to that theme. So... I also want to talk about a little bit about free running itself. Um, I believe it's called parcours in French, or it's spelled P-A-R-K-O-U-R. And I actually asked my boss, who is French, how you pronounce it, um, and he said it's like parcours, 
I have no idea if I'm really pronouncing it right, but you know, pako, something like that. So um, I, I saw a video of it as well. I think on the Discovery Channel, if not National Geographic, about this um, free runner um, pako guy, parkour guy in France, who um, elaborates about the whole idea of free running, and he says it's an art style. So basically, it's performance art done in the streets and everything. I liken it sort of to um, skateboarding, but in a more in a more European sense, I guess. I guess that's a proper way of saying it. So if, you know, the, the States has skateboarding, then I guess the French have free running. Um, and, you know, he, it was very interesting how he elaborated about the whole thing, that, you know, it's not a sport, it's really performance. It's how you move and how freely you move. It's called, sort of like Tai Chi almost in that sense that it's all about, I don't know... Um, flowing chi or something like that. It's really all about how things come together, how you are one with the universe, I guess, as cheesy as that sounds, how you become one with the world around you, how you, you know, you tune yourself to the shapes and sounds and everything in the world. And I guess that's why this particular free runner is talking about parkour as, you know, as a, as an art. And I definitely agree with him because, you know, it is an art form, really. Um, how somebody can be so precise in his movements, how somebody can be so expressive in what he does. And I guess that is art, right? Um, at the end of the day, it's really about free expression. It's really about how you connect to everybody and how beautiful everybody else thinks your work is. And definitely free running is one of the most beautiful things I've seen as well. So I guess in that sense, you can call skateboarding and bike riding and everything, art as well. But I guess, since it is sort of a European thing, the the whole um, artistic side of it is just magnified all that much. So, you know, um, I've always been interested in free running. I mean, interested in the sense that I like seeing these things, and whenever I see it in videos or in, in movies or something or whatever, it really does appeal to me a lot. And I just have no idea how these guys can do the, can do the things they do. I mean, jumping on buildings and, you know, doing really, really crazy stuff, actually, almost suicidal stuff. And, you know, incorporating that into a game was just very, very brilliant as well. Um, in, it sort of felt, or, you know, uh, it reminds me of Tony Hawk and everything when it all came out, but in a more, I don't know, it in a more relatable sense to me, because, you know... It's just basically running, and anybody can run, right? And not a lot of people can skateboard. So, I mean, that said, what really is Mirror's Edge, basically? So it's it's basically a free-running game, wherein you just um, run from point A to point B as quickly as you can without being killed by all these people. So, in a sense, it's people have always been saying that it's a first-person shooter of a different kind, right? Um, that you have a first-person point of view, and you see... As you run, you see your arm swinging as you would see yourself while running. And if you look down, you'll see your feet uh, basically um, running in front of you, right? Um, and it's a very, very cool perspective. Nothing has ever done this before. You've never seen your feet in an FPS ever before. Um, you know, in this sense, at least. In, you know, you, you, in, a, in an FPS, you would never look down to look at your feet. But in certain cases of Mirror's Edge, you, you'll have to do that or at least some fair movements will will show your feet going um, 
to eye level and everything. And you know, that in itself is a very, very good aesthetic as well, which appealed to me when I saw Mirror's Edge for the first time too. But again, you know, going back to the whole FPS thing, everybody says it's an FPS, but I would like to dip I would like to beg to differ because, you know, more than an FBS, Mirror's Edge feels more like a racing game to me, to be honest. And a lot of people have said that already. I'm not claiming that I'm the first one to say that, but I agree with the school of thought this, that these people are coming from more than those people who say it's an FPS. Because basically, an FPS, you, you kill everybody, right? But this game basically encourages you to avoid conflict, to avoid obstacles, and to actually find the quickest path to anything, to from point A to point B, which is more reminiscent, which is more telling of a racing game, to be honest, right? And, you know, it in that, you know, it might be a very, you know, if you're going to say it's an FPS, then it's a crazy convoluted FPS, actually. But if you're going to say it's a racing game, then, to be honest, in my opinion, it's the tightest, most amazing racing game that has come out ever. Um, and why I, why do I say that? I have mentioned this previously when I um, reviewed Mega Man 9, or talked about Mega Man 9. And the great thing about Mega Man 9 and Mirror's Edge, I think, is how much control you have over the character. And I know a lot of people complain in Mirror's Edge that, you know, it's very, very frustrating when you miss a pipe, that you're just sort of a few degrees off on your jump, so instead of hitting the, the pipe, which you have to grab onto, you hit the wall and die, basically. And the thing is, for me, as I, I see why frust- that could be frustrating for some people, but to me, that is just the player's fault. I mean, uh, it's the tightest racing game ever, because you're running, basically. Um, you, 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 can, you can strafe and everything, you can move as freely as you want, much like a real free run- runner would do, much like how you would run as well. And, you know, you don't have to worry about all these crazy things that are in other racing games um, and racing simulations, much like um, Gran Gran Turismo. Um, So, um, talking about Gran Turismo for a second, I mean, I I like racing games, but and I like simulation racing games as well. But to me, it's very, very difficult to learn, actually. And and really, I guess I'm more of an arcade racing guy in that sense. But, you know... That said, my experience with Gran Turismo, while I found it very, very fun, I just couldn't really find myself to really control the cars as well as I, I could. And I really always almost attributed every loss that I had to basically, shit, I, I can't control these, these cars properly. I can't tune them properly. I don't understand any of this. But when it comes to games like Mirror's Edge, when you think about it as a racing game, it's like, man, dude, the controls of this is so exact, is so precise, is so very, very well done that the only thing you can blame whenever you don't, you know, go from point A to point B at a specific time period is yourself, to be honest. And that is, to me, very, very important. That, to me, is golden when it comes to controls. Much like Mega Man, that the only reason that you would lose in this game is because of you, is because of your lack of skills, is because of your lack of practice, um, and nothing else, right? It's not your lack of knowledge or anything like that. Um, whereas, yes, practicing and everything in Gran Turismo will make you better, but, you know, just having the skills, just having the reflexes, just having the, you know, the sensibilities, the bare bones of things is enough to get you through a game that has very, very good controls, very, very intelligible controls, very, very understandable controls and intuitive controls. Um, 
And, you know, it's just that layer of gameplay shaved off, and that's a very, very good thing to me. Um, that really is the whole, well, at least my game design philosophy. As much as you can shave off from the game, shave it off. I mean, make it as simple as you can so that, you know, people can just pick up pick it up and play it and keep playing it and just keep enjoying it all the time. You don't have to keep relearning all these complex um, controls, all these complex simulations of things, you know. It just, um, you know, that really is the whole point to me at this day and age, that as much as it's cool to have all this information um, surrounding us, and, you know, I'm not talking about games anymore in general, I'm talking about the world in general. In this day and age... Really, as much of a luxury it is to have all this information um, available to you um, via the internet and via all the connections you can have with all the improvements and communication and everything. Um, that's all well and good. But really, the successful people are the ones who can really just focus on certain things, who can just really simplify things and take advantage of things that some people don't pay attention to. So while everybody's being a jack of all trades, knowing every little thing, every, you know, every, you know, just a tiny little bit about everything while they know all about that, it's the people who really get to specialize, who really get to go deep into a specific um, mechanic or a specific skill that they want to learn, a specific, um, I, I, I don't know how you call it, a specific um, specialization. I'm sorry to be so redundant, but you know, it's the people who can do that that I think will be very successful in the coming years. Um, it's not the people who know a lot, but the people who know a lot about one particular thing or just a few things that gives them the advantage over everybody else. And really, it's not it's not a new thing, really, uh, because specialization has been around for a very very long time. But it's a little harder to specialize these days because you're just bombarded with all of these crazy things that, honestly, you really want to learn because everything's so interesting, honestly. But, I mean, you know, this whole free-running thing I was just talking about, I'm very interested in it, but, you know, and as much as I want to try it myself, I, I, I keep telling myself that, okay, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm athletic or anything, but, you know, it's those things that you're, you, might, you might be interested in this thing, but you basically have to weigh your options that is it going to be worth my time to actually invest my time in this or not? You know what I mean? Um, it's an easy thing for a parkour or, some, or free running for something that I'm definitely not going to be able to do in um, any amount of years I invest in it. But say, let's say, I want to learn to play the drums. I want to learn to play the violin, the, the, the guitar, and everything. You know, as much as you want to learn all those three, you'll have to you choose at the end of the day just one because you can't be very, very, very good in all three of them unless... That's all you're going to do. And let's face it, that's not your, all you're going to do, especially in this day and age. So it's really those people who can shave off those extra layers of things that will be successful. And I guess that is exactly what Mirror's Edge does. That makes it very, very successful when you think about it as a racing game. It really just shaves off all of that crazy inertia, crazy things that happen, you know, spinning around and going into a spin in a more complex simulation racer and everything. And it gets rid of all the rubber banding and crazy stupid shit that are found in games like Mario Kart. I'm so sorry, Nintendo, but rubber banding, I hate, I hate. Don't penalize people who are very good at the game, right? Um, and, you know, you know, Mirror's Edge is just really about going through a level very, very quickly. It's about 
very timed button presses, very um, precise movements, and it's just so brilliant in what it does, to be honest. And the fact that I got it very, very cheap is another good thing, really. Um, I am going to mention that of the four games that I've bought recently, or that I've owned recently, that would be Spore, Dead Space, Metal Gear Solid 4, um... Mirror's Edge. Oh, and I forgot. Sorry, Little Big Planet. So of those five games that I've bought recently, three of them, count them. Three of them are from EA, which is sort of surprising for me because I myself am not really a big, big, big fan of EA because you know they're this capitalistic company. They're this huge company that basically, you know, has that that reputation of just wanting to earn money. And while that is a misnomer for sure. I'm sure there are a lot of passionate people in EA and not just businessmen, right? Um, It's just surprising because, you know, I don't own a lot of EA games, I think. But these games that have come out quite recently are very, very good quality EA games. I guess that is a testament to, again, the, the business sense of the people way up in EA as well, that they purchase all these great developers to develop very, very good hardcore games uh, for people like me. So Dead Space definitely wasn't up. Spore wasn't up as well. Very, very good game. And another one, uh, Home Run, most definitely Mirror's Edge. And even the best thing about it, for especially for somebody like me, Dokkan Gamer, in the Philippines, these games, guys, come as a world release. When they say this game is going to come out, when I read stuff in um, online and it says, okay, the release date of this game is in this day, it comes within a week here in the Philippines, which is not possible, quite honestly. It usually takes, like, a month, at the very least, for a game that has been released in the States to come out here. But with EA, I guess, how big a company it is, how, you know, how how big its network is around the world, it can afford to basically release its Asian releases quite early. And quite cheap as well. And that is a very, very smart um, move for EA. For the past weeks, I have gained a tremendous amount of respect for EA, to be honest. And I'm just so happy that they exist. I'm just so happy that they are doing this, that they realize that there is this market in Asia, as much as Asia, Southeast Asia, Asia most especially, is sort of poor and not really a viable market. Maybe finally, finally, after all these years, people are taking notice that, you know, Places like the Philippines, places in Southeast Asia are actually good markets to tap into. That there are people who play video games and love video games in 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 Asia. And hopefully this move, you know, really um, sort of makes it a lot more difficult for people to pirate games. Or at least, you know, kind of discourages them too. Because, you know, you know how much I bought Mirror's Edge for? So it's 60 bucks supposedly, right, for the PS3. I bought it easily for, for 40 bucks. I mean, given the exchange rate right now, uh, I bought it for 2,100 pesos. And at the current exchange rate, that's about 50 pesos to a dollar. So that's roughly just a little over $50, maybe $52, $53, uh, $42, $43. Um, and that's amazing, really. I bought three games for the sum total of, and I'm not kidding, around $100. That's Dead Space, um, um, what do you call this, Spore, and Mirror's Edge. So two of those games were for the PC, and one of them is for the PlayStation 3. All for $100, guys. All for $100. And I'm just so freaking happy about that. And thank you, thank you, EA, for that. 
And, you know, it was just such a no-brainer, really, to find a game that was very, very affordable and that was very, very good, which is Mirror's Edge, actually. So, you know, I can't wait to actually play the game. And to be honest, I actually stopped playing Little Big Planet to play Mirror's Edge. Not to say that I'm done with Little Big Planet, not at all. Um, I just think that, you know, Mirror's Edge is a more arcadey feel. So when I was going home last week, um, I was tired from work and everything. I just wanted to play something quickly. So I put in Mirror's Edge and not Little Big Planet. Besides, I've been playing Little Big Planet since Monday and everything, and I got Mirror's Edge last Thursday. So of course, you know, um, I've been playing around with a new toy first, but definitely I will be coming back to Little Big Planet. It's kind of the same thing about um, Metal Gear. I haven't even installed Metal Gear on my on my PlayStation yet because I just think it's more of a time investment than my other games that I have. So, you know, whenever you're, you're my age, I guess, coming home tired from work, you want to play games like Mirror's Edge, like, um, I guess, Rock Band or Guitar Hero, in my case, that just allow you to play, you know, in small bursts, like 30 minutes, maybe an hour, and be completely satisfied with it. So with that, I mean, you know, definitely two thumbs up for Mirror's Edge and three thumbs up for EA for making it so easily available to people like me. I really, really do um, appreciate everything. And, you know, hopefully somebody from EA is um, listening out there and, you know, because I really do want to give them kudos for it. And hopefully all the other developers, all the other publishers will follow suit because it's, you know you're missing out on probably the most heavily populated continent in the world, Asia, right? And yes, it's a poor continent, but, you know, we're developing and everything, and not everybody's poor. The markets that you cater to in the West are the same markets you have here in Asia. I mean, just because everybody pirates everything here doesn't mean, you know, there is no money to be earned here. So, you know, hopefully... Um, a lot of people will take notice, like me, that they support people, um, these publishers like EA, who really try to make um, their products available easily to um, the Filipinos like me. I mean, come on, shaving off pretty much 40% of the price um, of uh, the U.S. version compared to the Asian version is a lot of money, um, especially for people like me. So, you know... Um, definitely, definitely a buy for everybody out there, especially here in the Philippines. If you have a PS3, buy Mirror's Edge. You won't regret it. It's like the freaking cheapest, cheapest game I've ever seen in 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 the PS3, as well as Dead Space. They're both 2,100 pesos, roughly $40. So there is no excuse not to get these games because they are definitely worth every penny very, very high-quality games. Very, very fresh, especially Mirror's Edge. So between the two, actually, if you want something new, then buy Mirror's Edge. If you want something very familiar, then buy Dead Space. So with that, you know, Mirror's Edge. Definitely good. A game over, and I'll keep playing it over and over again, because that's how we play racing games. You just keep playing them, right? You never stop. And just keep shaving off that much time, that millisecond of time, that'll give you a better time and hopefully get you into the leaderboard, leaderboards online, right? And again, a very good aesthetic as well. So Mirror's Edge for Game Over this week. There you go. Coming up, Wrath of the Lich King. My son, the day you were born, the very forests of Lordaeron whispered the name 
Arthas. So this week in Sandbox, we'll be talking about a new WoW expansion that just came out, The Wrath of the Lich King. So that sound clip you just listened to was from the launch trailer. If you haven't seen it, it's a very, very good example of what the cinematic t- team in Blizzard can do. And they're probably and arguably the best um, out there and maybe second only, if not at par with guys like Pixar and making their cinemas very, very cool, very, very amazing. The quality is just top-notch and everything. And the whole parallelism and everything, and not parallelism, but really the, I guess, the irony between what Arthas has turned into and what the king, um, his father, was talking about is all very poetic. So that's very, very cool. Um, But, you know, so why talk about Sandbox in... Uh, Why talk about WoW in Sandbox, really? I'm not really talking about the game, per se, but, um, like, you know, in Sandbox, I basically talk about anything I want, and the thing is with um, World of Warcraft, more more than the game, I really want to talk about the whole idea of this crazy, crazy MMORPG that came out, which is this, this, you know, this monster of a game, which is WoW. Um... So a little bit of history of WoW, um, well, my history with WoW at least. When it was announced after Warcraft 3, the Frozen Throne and everything, I was very, very excited for the game. Been pretty much waiting until its release and was very, very pumped up to actually play it. But then, you know, um, as all things here in the Philippines, as all things video games here in the Philippines, when it was released in the States, it was basically freaking non-existent here in the Philippines. I mean... Nobody heard about it, only the people who um, read about video game news actually know about it. Nobody in the stores knew about it. But, you know, until a year later, when finally, you know, some servers came up here. Um, I don't even know if they're legal, but, you know, I'm sure they are open here now. All the, um, I don't know what you call them, the servers, for lack of my knowledge in MMORPGs. I don't know. Now, we actually have the servers for WoW. Um, you know, it came, I guess, at, ver- at the very least, a year late. And, you know, I guess my interest in the whole WoW thing just waned. You know, it just died down. And as much as I was very, very excited with it, with with the whole release and everything, I was just so turned off by the fact that I had to wait a whole year after just to play it. I mean, it's such a sad thing here in the Philippines that, you know, the people who you would want to cater to are the ones who actually lose interest in it. I mean, I was talking about EA in the earlier segment that they basically gave you these games as early as everybody else gets it in the U.S. Cheaper at a more at a price point more suited to your economy, more suited to your, your country. And, you know, I appreciate that very, very much as somebody who really appreciates games, somebody who really loves video games. And the thing is, what they did and wow, years ago, just, you know, didn't cater to me at all. I felt sort of insulted. I felt sort of betrayed in the sense that I wanted to play this game as much as everybody else, but nobody did anything about it. And I don't fault Blizzard. I don't fault any of the publishers or anything for not doing that. I mean, of course, EA only is doing what they are doing right now, and it is years after the initial release of WoW. So, you know, definitely I can't blame them and everything. Maybe... Nowadays, it will be a little bit more streamlined, especially now that they have their foundation set here in the Philippines. I'm sure 
um, StarCraft and StarCraft 2 and Diablo 3 will have servers up in quite immediately, if not a little sooner than, you know, what happened with WoW. And I guess it's a lot easier to set up those networks as compared to an MMORPG like War- WarCraft, right? Um, you know, I don't know. It's just that whole thing. And really, having missed it, having, you know, lost my interest in the sensation that it is in... Um, as how many people, 11 million people, half a population of a freaking country actually playing this game um, month in and month out is pretty amazing. And I'm very, very happy for Blizzard because quite honestly, um, and I'm using this as a segue to talk about Blizzard, Blizzard is now my favorite company of all time in terms of video games. Um, As a developer, of course, simply because the quality of games they release are just insane. I mean, it's amazing. I mean... None of the games they have released in the, I don't know, in the known, in the recent memory of what Blizzard is, has ever flopped, really. I mean, ever since Warcraft 2, it was just, it snowballed all the way, and, you know, the snowball just became so much bigger with WoW. And I'm very, very happy for for Blizzard, quite honestly, because, um, you know, just to go back a little bit and backtrack, the company that I admired the most before Blizzard was actually Square. When it, when it was still called Square, when it was during the times of Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy VII, and VIII, um, they were basically they they were basically the company that could not do any wrong. That any game they released was pretty much eaten by the masses, and it gave them a lot of money, money enough to fund their future endeavors. But I guess you know Square made a very very big mistake with I guess Spirits Within. That was the huge um, I guess turning point for the company, and it's quite unfortunate. But I'm still a very, very big fan of Square Enix now and looking forward to Final Fantasy XIII. Although I really do hate what they did again, that they're releasing Final Fantasy XIII on a 360 when it was supposed to be a PS3 exclusive and sort of feel betrayed in the sense, you know, it's in the same way that I felt betrayed when I was looking forward to Final Fantasy VII on the N64 and it suddenly came out on the PS2. So... You know, the thing is, um, for Square, they have to learn to be able to, I don't know, keep to their promises, keep to um, their word, I guess, um, stick to their word. And the thing is, that's what makes Blizzard so great, that they always stick to their word. They don't give you false expectations, and in fact, over-deliver oftentimes. And, you know, again, um, another thing that I really, really love about Warcraft, and I'm about Blizzard in general, I mean. Um, And I'm going to be sounding like a broken record, definitely, for saying this, but they do a hell of a lot with so little. And that is freaking amazing. I mean, look at WoW. Very, very low polygon meshes. Very, very, I'm sure, very small textures and everything. And yet, look at how expansive the game is. And as much as it doesn't look as impressive as, let's say, um, Age of Conan or all the newer um, MMORPGs out there, Everybody still wants to play it. Everybody still thinks it's really, it looks really, really good. And the thing is, because the art direction is just so amazing. I mean, it's all there is to it, really. Um, you shouldn't be, um, you know, distracted by all the details. You shouldn't be overcome over, you know, you, you shouldn't be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, distracted. You shouldn't be overwhelmed by all the details you have to put in a certain thing. But you really have to look at it in a more holistic sense. And for as long as all those little parts that come together very, very well and create a more cohesive, 
a more um, aesthetically pleasing look, feel, and everything. That's all there is to it, really, because there are a lot of games that are have very, very complex, you know, graphics and everything, but it doesn't come together properly, then what is it for, right? Um, and Blizzard is a master of that. Blizzard is a master of just you know, making everything mold together and just fit in there. Um, you know, very, very kudos to Blizzard for all of that. And, you know, look look at Diablo 3 and um, Warcraft 2. As much as people say, hey, it doesn't look all that impressive, it looks sort of the same, especially when people talk about Diablo and everything. The thing is, guys, I mean, these games are almost freaking two years old. How long has it been since StarCraft 2 has been announced? I, I easily think it's been two years already, if not will be two years soon. And the thing is, it, they still look very, very good. And the thing is, you know, that is a testament to really good art direction. For as long as you do it well, at the same time, you do it with a very classic look, with a very classic approach to it, very timeless approach to it, then no matter how old that game gets, it's still going to look good. To be honest, Warcraft 2 um, still looks very easy on the eyes for me. Starcraft does as well. Diablo 1, Diablo 2, and everything that Blizzard does. But, you know, yeah, they, I think they're very, very forward-looking, and they're very, very serious about their work. They're very passionate people. I'm, I know that the company is most likely reaching critical mass, that, you know, they suddenly lose that whole novelty of being this elite um, uh, developer of games when you reach a certain number of employees and... If you're hundreds and hundreds of employees big, then yeah, you sort of lose that novelty. But with Blizzard, really, you just can't, can't, um, you know, you just can't get past the quality of work that they do, and that all there is, that's all there is to it. At the end of the day, if they produce very, very good quality of work, then it's all that matters, really, for gamers like me. And you know, I'm going just going back to wow, that is probably the most quality work they've ever done because, you know. I'm a hardcore gamer myself, and the thing is, I wasn't really sucked into it or whatever, but having 11 million gamers be pretty much addicted to it and committed to the game, paying like 20 bucks, I don't even really know, or 10 bucks, 10 to 20 bucks every month for this game, and there are freaking 11 million of them. You know how much money that generates for Blizzard? I mean, I'm sure the maintenance of this game is insane, but come on, you're basically saying that Blizzard is selling 11 million copies of a budget title every month. I don't care who the hell you are. I don't care if you're EA or anything, but that is massive money, dude. I mean, as big a publisher as EA is and everything, I'd be, you know, they'd be freaking hard-pressed to find something as massive as that. And, you know, the thing is that all that money just goes to freaking Blizzard, and it's insane, right? I don't know. I really don't know how the finances go about it, but 11 million people at around 10 to 15 to like $20 a month, and you have that pretty much committed every single month, that is a ton of money. And not to say that I'm, you know, basically saying that Blizzard is this capitalistic monster, but I'm very, very happy that that is happening because that excess money that they're generating from WoW is going to the development of games like Starcraft 2 and Diablo 3 that I'm very very much looking forward to and you know it's see it shows in the quality of work they're being able to deliver I mean amazing I, I can't complain about anything that they've done in Starcraft and Diablo 3 so fine okay I, I might be sort of 
contradicting myself because, uh, especially since I said that you know Gears of War two is just more of the same and all of that. Um, and arguably, arguably, StarCraft two and Diablo three is really more of the same. But the thing is, really, um, I don't know. Um, now I suddenly don't have anything to say, and I'm quite embarrassed that I did say that about Gears of War. But the thing is with Blizzard, I don't know. It since I am not a multiplayer gamer um, with Gears of War, I think that just by playing it once, I'm pretty much done with it. I can play it twice, I can play it thrice, but it's pretty much the same experience all all the way through. And I won't be playing it multiplayer because I just suck, I guess, in FPSs in multiplayer mode, and I never really got into it. But in terms of Warcraft, I mean, I played a lot of Bnet uh, with that, so I guess that's what's making me want to buy StarCraft 2. You know, as much as it is more of the same, I think I'll get a hell of a lot more mileage out of StarCraft than I will um, Gears of War 2. So that's my rationalization of it, as kind of sorry and cop-out-ish as that might sound. But, you know, definitely. And, you know, one of the things that I really, really found very, very appealing with Warcraft is that there are a lot of um, video commentaries about it that, you know, Tillerman and all the famous players basically made um, commentaries of their own games and talked about their strategies and everything. And quite honestly, that took up a great chunk of what I got from Warcraft. Like, a good one-third of my time with the game was spent just listening to all these commentaries. It's kind of like watching a basketball game or watching a sports game that, you know, you basically see the action and somebody talks over the mic and tells you exactly what's happening in case you're not as, you know, you're not as um, literate with the... With the language you're talking about, you know, what's happening, what exactly is going on. Whoa, how great that pass was, or how great that micromanagement by this hero was, or whatever. I mean, that is very, very appealing to me as well. And I'm sure that's going to come out in StarCraft 2 as well. And in terms of Diablo, as much as it is more of the same 2, I'm really, really looking forward to the multiplayer aspect of that as well. I wasn't a Diablo 2 multiplayer player, but... If I had if I had the chance, if it had Bnet or whatever, or a more you know accessible thing, I, it, it might have had Bnet actually. But you know, I never really just played it because I guess our internet connection was really really bad during Diablo 2, but was better in Warcraft 3, I suppose, or what. But you know, suffice it to say, Diablo 2 again is going to be a hell of a lot more. Um, what do you call this? I'm going to be spending a lot more time in a game like Diablo 2. Than I would for a game like Gears of War. So if Gears of War can give me as much play time as, say, a Diablo 3 or a StarCraft 2 can give me, then by all means, I will be buying it, even if it is more of the same. So I guess it's all there is to it. But, you know, it's kind of ironic that it's this sort of um, gameplay time that I'm talking about, talking about, because that, going back to, to the original topic of, um, of Sandbox... But my problem with Lich King pretty much is that you're spending too much time on it. Um, how how ironic is that, right? But my point is that while these other games seem worthwhile, it seems that um, WoW is just too much of a time sink. I mean, more so than the others. That 
you almost have no control over yourself that you have to keep playing if you want to get all the best items, if you want to keep raiding with your party and all of that. It seems that the game consumes you too much as opposed to you actually controlling the game. And that is the very premise of video games, for me at least, that you control things, that you know you control the game, and that's what's appealing about it, that for once there is something that you can control, and that is why control is king for me a lot of times. Um... You know, um, as much as I have no doubts in my mind that WoW and especially Wrath of the Lich King is a very, very good game, and I've said this quite a few times to you know my my WoW friends. I mean, the, the my friends that I have that play WoW, um, that I don't doubt that Lich King is going to be great. That WoW has been very, very great for the past years. But you know, to me, as you know, in this stage in my life as a gamer, I just don't like spending too much time on a game. Um, and it seems that WoW and an MMORPG is the ultimate time sink. Um, in terms of bang for the buck, even if you do pay an additional 10 to $20 every month just to keep playing the game, I think it's still well worth it. Of course, it's going to end up being the most expensive game you've ever played. I mean, buying the buying the original wow the two expansions and everything and then playing it keeping on playing it for years on end is going to definitely cost you more than 200 bucks which is now the most expensive game you know to date in terms of price at least i mean with the bundles of guitar hero and rock band coming out wow is still going to you know is going to consume not just your time but your wallet as well um but again to me still worth the money of course but you know at the very end of the day it really is a problem of just spending too much time on just one game. And especially nowadays, whereas, you know, 10 years ago, maybe even 15 years ago, whatever, having just one game to play and having that game basically take up all of your time was fine because basically you only had a few games to play anyway. But in this day and age, where in games of top quality of triple A status really come out literally every month, even every week, then... You know, playing too much of one game just isn't the way I want to go. Some people might do it that way, but me, you know, I like playing lots of different games. I like having different gameplay experiences, um, experiencing different artistic aesthetics, um, listening to different kinds of music and everything. I mean, all of that is what gaming is all about to me and not just what a game is. As much as, let's say... Let's just assume that WoW is the best game ever created ever since. And as much as it is, might be the best, you know, so far um, in terms of quality and everything. I mean, other games do give you a different kind of experience. And I guess that is, you know, the traveler in me, the explorer in me. I might not like going, you know, sightseeing and everything as much as other people. I might not like adventuring as much as people and all of that. But I do like experiencing fresh things. I do like um, enjoying new ideas, new experiences and everything. And, you know, too much of one thing is always a bad thing anyway. And and as, and as much as I will want to try Wrath of the Lich King, I, I sort of want to avoid it because I want to avoid the whole craze of it. Um, just last night, the office mates um, treated themselves out to, a, uh, you know, a couple of games of Dota, or Dota, Defense of the Ancients, or however you want to pronounce that. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not a Dota player. I'm more of a tower defense player back in the days, simply because I didn't have any friends who really played Dota or anything. But, you know, 
I can see just how engrossing this game is. And it's sort of, it's again one of those games I sort of don't want to keep investing my time on too much. Um, because again, yeah, I keep wanting to play games. I want to keep playing Mirror's Edge. I want to play Fallout 3 and see what that's about. I want to play Rock Band. I want to create my levels in Little Big Planet. I want to finish MGS4. And there's so much to do aside from, you know, just eating, working, and sleeping. And in just in terms of games, so, you know, just spending too much time on one game isn't worth it. Not to say that developers should make short games, of course not, that's, that's a completely different thing, but a game like WoW that literally takes thousands of hours of your time. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding, I'm sure a lot of people have gone beyond the thousand mark by now. Um, it's just too much, too much to ask for, for just one person who wants to do other things. I mean, if, if you're... You know, if you're basically a professional WoW player and make your living out of WoW, then by all means, keep doing it. If you keep enjoying it, then I'm not stopping you. But in my case, and I guess in the case of a lot of other people, or people like me at least, who like fresh ideas, like, like fresh games, then, you know, I'll pass for now. But still, kudos, kudos to Blizzard. I, I still believe that WoW is definitely one of those hallmark games and a cornerstone of the industry for sure. But... You know, it's just something, I guess, that isn't for me as much as I want to play it. And, again, I guess the price factor also comes into play and everything. So, MMORPGs, not really for me. Maybe, eventually, I will find an MMO for me. It could have been WoW, dude. I mean, if it just came... If it was, you know, if the infrastructure was just set from the very beginning, then, you know, I might be a WoW addict for all I know, you know? And I might not even be doing this podcast because I'm, I'll be busy leveling my, you know, level 70 whatever thing up to level 80 or whatever cap it is right now. So, you know, still uh, Wrath of the Lich King, if you like these kinds of things. If you want to get into MMORPGs, I would definitely encourage you to just go for WoW. Simply because, you know, not because um, Warhammer Online or... Age of Conan is not up to snuff. It's more like the community um, really is very, very active in WoW. There are a lot of people who are going to help you. They're really nice people. And, you know, the infrastructure has just been time and tested. That Blizzard support is just amazing. It's very iterative. They keep improving the game over and over. They just don't stop at all. I mean, until now, I think they're still looking at StarCraft. Maybe not StarCraft. Maybe like Diablo or like WarCraft 3 stuff. They just keep improving it and you know, the maintenance of Blizzard is just really amazing. So that's all I have to say about Lich King. It was an extra long podcast this week. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I think it was a lot more coherent than last week. But, you know, it's good. Um, I still don't have any people who would guest in this podcast. A lot, of, a couple of my friends have expressed interest, but, you know, they, they, they were just pretty much talking about it. But Eventually, I'll, I'll drag them into one of these episodes, maybe talk about the games that they're more interested in, because, you know, of course, I'm, a lot, I'm very biased to the, to the choices I make in this, show, in this podcast, so hopefully I'll have some guests soon, maybe for Christmas, when everybody's not really busy with work or anything, and maybe that's a good time to actually drag people into the podcast. So there you go, that is episode 6 of Dokkan Gamer. Hope you guys enjoyed it, and again, if you have any questions, any comments or anything, drop me... Uh, an email at dokang.gamer at gmail.com. I would really like to hear from any of you guys or just post on the blog 
as well. That would be cool. And hope you enjoyed. So happy mirrors edging, happy rock banding, and maybe happy wowing for you guys. So see you next week, boys and girls. Bye.